What is happening, everyone? This is Ryan from the Scale Up Show. Happy to have you on the show. I have Darren Gallup, who is the founder and CEO of Carbide. He has a really amazing backstory. Started off as a musician, then did a SaaS in the festival industry for like Burning Man, X Games, other, other big festivals like that. Worked with the Violent Femmes producer. On top of that, he then created another SaaS company and then eventually got into cybersecurity. Also go deep in AI on this episode. So you're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Salian. I have a very special guest with me today. I'm Darren Gallup. Darren is the co-founder and CEO of Carbide. He is a three-time CEO with a music background turned SaaS founder who specializes in building and leveraging information security and privacy compliance to SMEs to drive growth and wait for it, speed up sales cycles. What's up, Darren? Happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Happy to be here. Glad to be here. Yes. Yes. Uh, I love I love the fact that you you integrated your solution, or not integrated, you integrated your messaging with the fact that you're speeding up sales cycles. Uh, specifically related to security. So we are definitely going to dig into that. But before we do, want to give a real quick backdrop on just kind of where you're at in the stage of the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your AR range? Yeah, so we're a little north of 2 million uh, earlier this quarter. Okay, excellent, man. And then what's your primary revenue growth go-to-market strategy? Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of outbound, actually, like like traditional sales, SDRs and sales folks. And, and, you know, I would say it's split between that channel um, and inbound. So, you know, the inbound is a combination of things like being on podcasts, like your show, nice. um, writing articles about, you know, areas of concerns in the space, things like that. Okay. So it's pretty split down the middle. There. So kind of like an SEO podcast thought leader, yeah. if you will. Okay, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, walk us through what your solution does in a couple of sentences. Right. So... What we solve is the problem that SMBs are facing these days with all of these cybersecurity requirements, framework standards, certifications, and more recently, all these new privacy regulations popping up, things like GDPR, HIPAA, but also you know all these state and provincial very specific privacy regulations. So it's really created a complex world where small to medium-sized businesses who were pretty ad hoc with security and privacy was more of an afterthought, now are needing to comply with a multitude of different things. It's gotten very complicated. Our solution basically intakes data about your company, figure out, figures out what it needs to comply with, where you're at now, what are the gaps, builds out a program that includes controls, cybersecurity and data privacy controls, policies, procedures, builds everything out into a project, provides training, awareness training, training to people that are running with the security program, and access to experts that can help you solve maybe unique problems you'll run into. So all this sort of in our platform, which integrates with about 130 other platforms out there, gets your security platform, gets your security posture up there, gives you the tools to monitor it, report on it, and then you get to the sales cycle and all that fun stuff. Okay. Love that, man. And so when you relate it to the sales cycle and speeding that up, that's obviously for like the the cyber review that you have at the end of the sales process or um, in the POC stage or something along those lines or requirement prior to the POC. Is that kind of what you're talking about and from that aspect? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's been it's really quickly gone from something that helps speed up to a sales process. I think more in more recent days, it's actually like a requirement to even get into the sales process. So it used to be that you would get a security review late stage once they've assessed your, uh, you know, that you're the vendor they want to go to, and this was sort of like an administrative step in the procurement process. What we're seeing now is it's actually becoming more of a, you know, you need it to play the game of even getting in there. And they may look for documentation even in advance of considering you as a vendor. So it's both, you know, facilitating getting into a sales fund, into a process um, with with an organization, getting them in there uh, to to speeding it up. So you're really talking about trust and just showing them that they're that you're not going to create any additional risks or end up being, you know, something involved in the organization's lacking of security or data privacy that they, they, they won't be permitted to work with you, um, you know, once, once they've decided that you're the vendor they want to work with. Makes sense. And what stage do you think when you say SMB, what's your definition of SMB when, you know, of the, of the stage when you start working with companies in terms of revenue or employees, or how do you kind of, how do you quantify that or make it more specific? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because there's a lot of definitions of what size equals what, right? right? So, we have a lot of early stage companies, uh, as small as us. We're thirty three, thirty four employees, uh, even smaller. But what we are seeing, where we're seeing a lot of growth in our customer base is actually organizations that are slightly larger. They might be 80, 150, and everywhere up to about 450, 500. We're seeing a lot of requirements in terms of making their security programs more sophisticated. So this could be organizations that don't have a program at all. It could be organizations that actually have something and maybe they've passed some sort of SOC 2 or some sort of more basic security audit. And now they're getting required to meet more, uh, you know, more expectations, higher expectations by their, their customers or vendors. Okay, love it. And then how large is your team? We're 33 or 34, somewhere in that ballpark. It's kind of a moving dial okay. continually. All right, excellent. And then are you bootstrapped or funded? We're we're funded. Um, we raised a pre-seed round and we raised a seed round. Um, we are exploring potentially going out for a Series A, but we also uh, we're pretty close to the to the cash flow positive mark, which is pretty exciting and really looking to you know have some optionality. It's a bit of a different market out there in terms of raising cash, so uh, you know we kind of have we kind of have the ability to play both uh, both fields. But yeah, no, we've raised about six million dollars uh, to date. In okay, business. excellent. Well, don't be surprised if you get some calls from investors because I've heard from my other guests that that happened from time to time, especially if you're looking for, well, looking for funding. So, uh, okay, so let's get into your, your story. You have a really unique founder journey in terms of how you got here. Uh, and I loved when we went through this in the pre-show. Uh, last week, we had the technical difficulties, right? So, so walk us through exactly kind of like how you got to this point and then just what was your prior journey getting here? Because it is definitely unique that a lot of people haven't taken before. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I probably said this when we had the, when we chatted last week, but, you know, if I were to go back in time and tell my 20 something year old self that I was going to be the CEO of a cybersecurity company, I probably wouldn't have believed it. I may have even asked like, what does that even mean? <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, life has a, you know, the journeys that we go on tend to lead to the next journeys that we we jump on board of. And so, you know, for me, um, I dropped at a university. 
um, when I was like 21, ended up on a Canada World Youth Exchange program over in Hungary, teaching English and French in a, in a school in Eastern Hungary. A bit of a life-changing experience, kind of like brought me more to thinking of what do I want to do? And I've always had this dream. I always played music, grew up in a very art, artistic and, and musical environment. Um, and I always had this dream of, you know, being a rock star. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a crack at this. So I started a band when I got back from this Canada World Youth Exchange program. And, you know, that band kind of, you know, we had some local success in our region and, but it, you know, proved to be pretty tough and, uh, you know, making ends meet and all that. So I'm working side jobs and the side. And then I ended up kind of, you know, that, that just kept evolving and, you know, from one group to another group and, 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 you know, the, the success got, got a little better every time, you know, on a, on a, on a national level, even in the last act nice. that I worked with, but, you know, got a little tired of it, got a little tired of the road and like the lifestyle and it's, it's got its pros and cons and so the pros wear off after a while. Can, can I stop you right there? Cause I want to hear what, so what kind of music was it, man? And what were you playing? And like, it was, what a, would you there was like rock funk rock, um, you know, a little bit of influence of things like from, from like a little bit of like Latin influence, but not Latin music per se. Um, and so, yeah, just really fun. Like we played in the jam band circuit in Canada and the last band that I was in, it, it was a blast. Right. But, you know, after some time, I, I just kind of, the, the, the rush, the fun parts of the road started to wear off. And then the, the, the downsides of being on the road started to amplify it appear, it seemed. And so, you know, I started doing more work in the studio, started recording bands, producing bands, um, you know, at the height of that, I was co-producing records with Gordon Gano from the from the Violent Femmes nice. um, down in down just north of of, of New York, and uh, started a record label. Had a handful of bands on there. We signed a distribution deal in a few different countries. We you know we had a Canadian artist that was charting and all this. And then this was like two fast forward. It's like two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. You know, the ass is falling out of the music industry and the economy at the same time. And uh, you know, just a lot of things changed, and it became you know, the, the, the successes weren't generating the type of revenue that we kind of hoped we could, we could get to. And, and, and as a label, we were really leaning on things like Basecamp and as we go back to 2007, like SAS was pretty early stage. Right. And the cloud, like what's the cloud? I didn't think we were using the word cloud. And, and, you know, we, I, I kind of just sort of thinking about it. It's like, well, could I make a software solution? Cause I'm making, I'm using all these makeshift general tools to run a music business. The music business is ripe. It needs efficiency. It's struggling with, with, with certain financial and economic challenges. So, so we started building, we started building software for touring artists that proved to be really difficult because, you know, the bands didn't have money. They didn't want to pay a lot for for software. So we pivoted over to music festivals in 2010. By 2013, 2014, we started signing festivals like Bonnaroo and Burning Man and Coachella and Just for Laughs. And, you know, even later on, you know, some sporting events like X Games, things like that. And, you know, that that proved to be a pretty interesting journey. It was still very, fairly bootstrapped, you know, not really venture backable um, SaaS because it was it was really in a very, very specific niche, right? We weren't trying to be a global events management software. We we're really focusing more on this music festival concept where we could dial in and be highly effective in a smaller market. And um, what happened was security started to become a question that evolved very quickly. And we started signing deals with organizations like Live Nation and Disney, uh, AEG Live, like some of these bigger organizations that have more sophisticated security, you know, cybersecurity vendor requirements. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it became very apparent very quickly that we did not have our shit together. And so <laughs> this became an, an issue. We lost a couple of really valuable deals that we, we, we were uh, we were winning. We had won, but we failed in security audit. And it just became a real big problem. So uh, I put all my energy into it and, and built security program, worked with outside consultants, learned a ton, ended up taking, taking some courses, doing all these things, all these things. And so as we started eyeing our exit and having conversations about, uh, you know, the exit opportunity for that, that company, I was just really into security. I was on, on route to getting my CISSB certification and really thinking about security as like, wow, there's, this is a really, there's so much growth in criminal activity out there. And there's so many SMBs out there that are just standing with their pants down. And, and, you know, there was so much need for assistance and there wasn't much in terms of humans that had the experience that could go out there and really facilitate and assist this massive like evolution in Greenfield for need for security security and data privacy stuff. So uh, yeah, I just got really obsessed with it. And, and that's kind of what led me to to founding Carbide. Love that, man. Beautiful story. I mean, some great experiences along the way. I mean, like, so how did you end up working with the Violent Femmes guy? Um, I, I, like, it's, that's very random. And I don't, I don't remember you mentioned that to me before. Yeah, I don't. I, I probably didn't. Um, it, it, it's kind of like you know, small world thing. So one of the producers that produced a bunch of the Violent Femmes work, uh, as well as others, named is Warren Brule. Um, he lives in New York and and does you know continues to do work with with folks from that um, that group there. But he actually is born in Cape Breton and I, and he had come home at one point and, and, you know, heard some rumblings from some of his relatives about these up and coming bands in the region. And I was kind of in the middle of this, this, you know, this emerging scene. Uh, and so him and I be, you know, he, he approached me, we, we started talking through things. We became friends. He became a mentor, uh, saw the opportunities in it. And, and, and we came together to start the record label. So he, he Warren Roulet effectively became you know, my business partner in building this, this record label. And so when it came time to like going out and producing records, like, you know, he was calling upon uh, folks in his network as well, which, you know, was a, was a big elevation to sort of the velocity and the caliber of the projects we were working on. That's awesome. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So something that you said as well struck a chord with me and kind of like what, what you were talking about on how you lost a really big deal after you were awarded or deals, I should say. Was that with Disney or was that with somebody else or what can you name the companies that? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been it's a long time ago now. So, you know, it was a live nation and it was a deal that would have brought us like a, a whole bunch of European festivals i think there was 10 or 11 festivals so it was gonna it was a big deal and it was for all intensive purposes a done deal with you know the caveat of passing this security audit and we didn't 
And it was like, it wasn't repairable. And like, by the time it got to us not passing the security deal, the, like in the way festivals work, everything's like so cyclical around the, re, the, the season, right? So there's like, they needed to start using the tool by date X or there was no value. They couldn't wait any longer. Yeah. And, you know, we would miss the cycle. And so, you know, we ended up sorting things out. So by the end of the season, we were ripe and ready to work with them, but we had missed the opportunity. We went back, we were trying to reach out, but you know, we, we burnt the bridge effectively. Right. And, 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 and so like that was pretty impactful. Like that probably would have been somewhere around a 10% increase in ARR off of one deal. Wow. Um, well, how, how big was the deal? I'm going to, I don't, I mean, I don't really know. Like I know that it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars okay. in AR. Significant, yeah. All right. Yeah. So it was it, substantial. It was a while ago, right? Especially for us. We were like a 10 or 11 person team at the time. Well, yeah, so that's, like, I mean, you know, you know big, for an early stage, that's, that's huge, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and then obviously it sounds like there's a lot of second order effects you would have had with other businesses that you could have got as a result of that. Oh yeah. I mean, well, hundred percent. That would have likely, you know, stemmed to further increase in in around their assets throughout Europe and 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 deeper penetration into their assets in North America, and probably would have brought us, you know, brought us other uh, organizations that can in the competitive landscape in those markets as well. So, yeah. So, however, going back to it, it's like something you said kind of struck a chord with me uh, in in a good way, right? It kind of reminds me of what's happening right now, where you said there's. There's so many SMBs that had basically like a security, I don't want to say security void, right? You didn't say that exactly, but that's kind of like my perception of what you said, right? Where there was such a gap, there was so much white space and there's such a need for it, but there wasn't a lot of solutions out there. Now, and it was rapidly evolving, right? So do you think the same thing's happening with AI right now with smaller businesses, with the evolution of large language models and how much it's getting democratized and, and organizations implementing that in their business. Do you see, see parallels like you did when it came to the cybersecurity side or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that that is the case, right? So AI and the large language models are going to have, you know, they're going to evoke a lot of change in, in a variety of different domains, um, both in the context of service businesses as well as in SaaS businesses. Um, so that's, you know, one side of, of things. There's also, there's also a lot of, uh, like a lot of governments kind of running around with their hair on their fire, figuring out with their hair on fire, figuring out like, how the hell are we going to manage this? How do, how do we protect, uh, folks? Like, how do we protect society? And when they think about that protection, they're thinking, you know, there's, there, there's, there's data security and data privacy, like you know, think of that as a more, let's call it now a traditional sort of thought that goes into everything that changes in, in the technological landscape. But then it's also like all the other things, right? Like how, what are the ethics around decision-making being made uh, by machines? Um, you know, what degree of human, and, and what's the impact to various industries? Uh, so, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And I think it, it is definitely, um, a land of opportunity. So, you know, when you, I think when anytime you have this disruptive moment, right, where, where, where like all of a sudden, whether it's like the internet, right, like the internet caused a lot of problems for a lot of businesses, right, but it also generated an entire economy of businesses. And I think we're going to see similar things, right, like the blockbusters that continue to sell, try to force people to rent DVDs or VHS tapes are not going to fare out well. And those do it embrace the technology instead of like, oh, it's, yeah, 
you know, kind of push it aside, those that embrace it or, or the new businesses that jump aboard and, and work with it, I think there's a tremendous world of opportunity. But we are definitely going to see a, a la- layers of regulation popping up very quickly. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's going to be something that's that's that'll be interesting to follow. I will admittedly say that, um, you know, on the legal side or the, the regulatory side, I, I'm, I'm less in, I'm less thinking about that because you know I'm that I'm in the, the the depths of you know growing a business 100% year over year, which is you know always a big consuming event no matter what size your business right. is at and 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 our thinking on AI is highly focused and my energy in terms of AI is highly focused on how I believe AI is going to revolutionize the industry we're in and how the problem we solve is best solved in terms of what the customer actually needs. And, you know, so we're thinking about that. Like we definitely don't want to be, you know, the blockbuster in this, in this story. But I do think that a lot of things or a lot of the ways that tools in our space are solving this problem. I think that the minute, you know, the minute OpenAI opened the doors with their, with, with even 3.5, I think that a lot of that stuff became, really quickly obsolete and the shelf life is very limited. And, you know, so we look at that in terms of how we're building our product very intimately. And, you know, the way we've built policies, procedures, the way we've crafted documentation, crafted controls and identified needs and businesses using a more traditional matrix type um, models. Um, You know, those matrices are still valuable and that stuff is not garbage per se, but there's now this layer where you can bring a, a level of, uh, you know, you can, you can really get to that near human componentry. So where I think that most companies now are doing some sort of combination, like if they're an SMB and they're trying to solve a security data privacy problem, it's usually a combination of an expert or a human who has mm-hmm. the ability to, you know, navigate and, and make decisions, factoring in a lot of data and variables and experience and knowledge. And a tool like a compliance management software or a, a GRC software or something. And I think that that human component now with AI can will reduce its requirements substantially and that the technologies that evolve leveraging the AI to almost cur- to get closer to that human sort of a value proposition in the equation are going to excel really rapidly. And that's entirely where, you know, our product innovation, product roadmap and attention uh, lies right now. I love that. I see a lot of parallels to that as well. And like, I mean, you can even see it now already. And this is like, I don't want to say we're at ground zero because obviously AI has been going on for 20 years, right? But in terms of the 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 uh, democratization of of some of the tools and products that are out there uh, that are that's happening is like I see agencies getting automated in a lot of ways, right? Like like for example, there's a tool, yeah. there's a tool, uh, and it's funny because like I'm I'm redoing a website, right? And um there's tools out there that could create websites on WordPress and it takes you probably 15 minutes to do um, as a non WordPress person, as a non, and there's companies that are built around that. Right. And it's funny. Cause like, I think, you know, and, and I even did this, like I got a, I got a quote from someone and they're, they're trying to charge like three grand to do it. And I'm like, listen, I could do, I can get 90% of the way there um, for $50 a month. Right. Or $20 a month. And I'm like, yeah. do you really like, and so I think there's people like you're saying that are going to get blockbustered 
or borders, yeah. bordered or Kodak, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, if if they're blind to this and and, and don't have that, I, I should say, view of, of of what's happening, right? So, yeah, I, I, look, I think I think like when it comes to a service based business and an agency, if if you're not doubling down on how you're going to leverage AI to create massive efficiency in your business and you're not building and or leveraging best in class tools around that. Yeah. You're going to get steamrolled pretty quick. I think like, you know, I think like, like we had these conversations recently, like we had it to somebody wanted to translate a, a policy into a, another language. And it's like, well, do you realize how good some of these, like some of the newer sort of tools built on AI, like have far surpassed, like, you know, more traditional sort of Google Translate, like the ability for AI to contextualize, um, you know, not thinking of everything word for word, but to actually contextualize messaging and rewrite in the form of a translation in another language, just as an example, right? And I think like, so like you could be a translation firm, just like, hey, look, I'll take it off your hand, be really price competitive and using AI in a big way and just using humans as, as a set of eyes versus the, 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 the lift. Like we had this conversation yesterday with my CTO and we were talking about like what AI is going to do to like the world, even things like developers, like see developers and user experience and and, you know, some of these things that, you know, quite frankly, we kind of position them as being like white collar jobs. And like, if you look at developers, like there's a lot of developers that are just like, it's the equivalent of like somebody who's just going out there and stacking bricks all day. Right. Or like, you know, building a cl- clear, like, and I think like those sort of like working class devs, not the ones that are like, you know, coming up with concepts and ideas and really, really sort of like creatively solving problems. But the, a lot of, a lot of devs are just, you know, filling in the scope and they're just there writing lines. Right. Like, I think that th- like the demand for that degree of workforce to build a product is that's the past. Like I'd be, you know, I, I think like I laugh a little bit, like all these schools that are just catching on in small regions now that are like, oh, we need to create more software developers. It's like, you missed it. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like you now need to think about people who can like, you know, who can build and design and solve problems creatively and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary and exciting. Like, um, you know, if I was a developer, I'd be thinking about, you know, how do I leverage that and become expert in this to be very relevant? So if a company, instead of hiring 10 developers, is going to hire two, I would be the developer that you'd want to hire because I'm going to be able to piece these things together, leverage them, and manage the robots for you, you know, that kind of thing. So. It's true. It's so true. I mean, I think I saw as well on GitHub that 93% of People on GitHub are now using AI in their development, right? Uh, so that I thought that was pretty interesting to see that adoption rate being so high. Because like I am looking at more on the revenue side, on the marketing and sales side, and it's abysmally. It I think it's 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 ridiculously low right now. Uh, I'm really mm. passionate about that. I see so many companies, and this this goes from the top down, where organizations are implementing it into their product, but they're not implementing it into their team, right? And so I think that's a yeah. Huge, huge opportunity because like I've seen from my personal experience, like things that took me like 10 years of meetings with C-levels to like figure out. If you ask it the right question, you can figure that out in a couple minutes. Right. And so like that's that's on a business acumen or experience side. Now, granted, most people don't know that unlock or how to do that. Right. They don't understand how to yeah. ask it in a very specific way to get the output that you would get from that experience. So I think there's some gaps there. 
But those are those are the opportunities or even things that used to take me a couple hours of work to do. I can now do in 15 minutes. Right. Like that's immensely valuable. Yeah, I agree. I think you need to like the other thing, though, is like you need to know like what a what what a desired outcome looks like also. True. So like, True. you know, I've you I know our sales folks use it for sure um, in, in crafting responses to questions from customers, but they they have to read the answer and have to have enough knowledge to be sure because it'll lie or it'll, it'll give incorrect answers, you know, whether, you know, and uh, yes, you're, you're prompting the quality of the prompts can certainly, uh, you know, it's kind of like garbage in garbage out. The quality of the prompt can, can determine, but even with quality prompts, um, as surprising and as amazing the tools are, you still want to read them. And, and you're probably, you know, I find myself often when I'm asking more in-depth questions and, and in domains that I know is that I'm coaching through my prompting to get the final outcome. And it's really doing the grunt work for me because I'm still using a lot of brain power to structure the prompts, brain power to read the results, brain power to craft the, 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 you know, the training required to get the desired outcome. But I don't have to write the sentences and worry about all the grammar and spelling and all the pieces to crafting it. So it's a huge saving. We do that. We do that for sure in our sales team. I, I would agree. Like, I think, you know, you're saying this to me about like, you're thinking about it through the sales, the sales and, and go to market side. And I, and I, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm thinking of it way more right now on the product side, because I think that's like do or die versus cost efficiency, right? It's like, if we don't get on top of this stuff, we will be brought blockbuster. And then I'm thinking about it and we're using it a lot more in depth in our customer success operation mm. because we have a fairly involved customer success department. Like we're not just there answering questions about like, hey, how do I download a PDF of this thing from your tool? It's more like, hey, how what do you have any recommendations on how I can encrypt these, you know, 48 hard drives and manage that and monitor it? Like, you know, they're 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 more like, here's my bigger problem, not like how do I use the tools. So, you know, we're using, we're training AI tools in our own knowledge base of, you know, best carbide, best practices and other data and knowledge that we've, we've exercised over the years of working with customers and using that to help customers have to put less brain power in and get answers. And we're doing that not through like a chat window. We're doing that through a more trained environment through the API in our own tool exposed to our customer success that has less lying capacity because it's really like, you know, we're tightening up some of the parameters like temperature and whatnot to really get very uh, literal answers based on a body of knowledge per se. That's good. That's smart. And I, but I'm excited about the sales stuff you're saying though. I'm like, damn, I, I need to, I need to like go for a long walk and think more about, and, you know, maybe sit down with sales and marketing and start thinking more about, you know, how much further can that go? Because, you know, I, I think, I think there's big opportunity and I don't think it, I don't see it as a cost cutting. Like for us, I feel like I would spend the same amount on employees whether there's AI or not, it comes it comes down to like the value you can provide customers, the growth that you can provide from your go to market strategy, the growth you can provide from product, and then like effectively like the way I the lens I look at that through is if I can use tools to create that greater efficiency and create more value from the money invested, then I can put more money in to hire more people, put better toolage in, and, and continue to scale that right. So I think like 
you know, I think a lot of people kind of have this like, oh, it's going to take our job. It's like, well, it is going to take a lot of jobs, but it's also going to create opportunity, massive opportunity. And that's why it's like the naysayers who are like, yeah, I'm not really worried about that yet. It's like, okay, well, but it sounds to me like by the time you're convinced to worry about it, it might be a little late for you and your folks that aren't really, you know, taking on, taking the bull by the horns per se. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's true. And, and um, I think, I think you dropped a lot. I could, I could share some things with you after the episode too. I mean, I, I just got hired by a company to help them implement some of this into their business, integrated in their sales function. So um, I've been obsessed with it since I think like I get, I, I got around Christmas time of last year. Right. Cause that's when I got, me too. That's exactly when, yeah, I got, I got exposed to Dolly, yeah. um, which was the text to, to graphics. Right. And then, chat GPT, like right when it came out and I've been using it, I probably spent like 150 hours in it. So, uh, there's, there is a lot of nuance to it. Right. So, um, so let's shift gears a little bit because we're almost out of time. Uh, one of the things that I would love to get from, from your perspective are, are kind of like two sides of the coin, right? What's the single biggest thing that you see working well and growing your business right now? Or the, and it doesn't have to be right now. It could be the single best strategy that you have for growing your business that you've seen. And then I have the flip side of it next. Yeah, I mean, for me, what I think's been the most impactful in the business, and I think this is a difference of, like Mercado, my last business at its peak, I think was like sixteen employees, right? So, like I was, I had my hands in everything, right? Like we were all in the same building, and like it was like I was, I was running the show um, in a lot of ways, and you know, my co-founder, and and we didn't really build a leadership team to the same extent. And and what I have now in Carbide, and we've done post our, our seed, like last year, 2022, we put together a leadership team and like bringing in people that are super kick-ass at things, like bringing in a sales leader versus trying to figure out how to scale and build a sales team. It's not that you can't, but it's like, you know, as your business gets bigger, like as the CEO, I find like there's all kinds of stuff. I go into a week and I'm like, oh, I got tons of time to focus on this, this, and this. And you just like, there's constant like derailment and constant things that come up out of nowhere that you have to deal with. And then, you know, as your business gets more complex with stakeholders, a board, investors, like you have to do, like there's more to manage there on the stakeholder side. So like having somebody in there owning sales that has experience in building a sales organization is like for, for me has been super impactful. And the same thing in the customer service, customer success side of things. Like we, you know, we brought in two phenomenal leaders, one in VP, one in the VP position of customer success, the other in the VP of sales and marketing. And like that just like those are now two areas in the business that I have, you know, absolute confidence. And and so I can focus more, um, you know, my co-founder and I can focus more on company strategy, on raising money, on leadership and, you know, bringing the team together and, and, uh, you know, on building product, like building a best in class product. And, 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 you know, we're like, we're not at ground zero in the world of cybersecurity solutions. A lot's happened in the last couple of years. It's been a very fast evolving space, but it's still early days. Like there's still so much greenfield and there's still so much opportunity for evolution in terms of sophistication of products. AI opens a massive door and portal into a whole new layer of, of possibility when it comes to innovation. So being able to spend more time there, knowing that I have very sophisticated, very trustworthy and competent, experienced people taking other very, very important parts of the business so I can be more hyper-focused. 
uh, is just, it changes things, right? Like, you know, otherwise you're like, kind of feel like you're spinning plates, right? And you're like trying to help sell and you're trying to lead sales. And it's just like, all of us, we're just, we're just mere mortals, right? So, you know, we need like having a leader, having some leadership, bringing in people that are like better at things than you are to handle those things. It's just like, it creates bandwidth, right? And you can use that bandwidth to drive growth. True. So true. Okay. Flip side, what's the single biggest challenge in your business right now then? You know, I think I think for us, like if I was to say the, the biggest challenge is a lot of companies still don't think about security for the purpose of security. They think about it as like a, a red tape sort of administrative bullshit that they have to go through to meet to close deals. And it's like, you know, so we see a lot. And this is, it it happens more so in the early stage companies. And I totally get that because, you know, if you're an early stage SaaS company, your biggest risk is probably rerunning out of cash before you get to break, you know, cash flow, break even or your next round of funding. So I understand like that predicament. But, you know, what we see happen is organizations will go, um, you know, look for the cheapest, fastest way to get, say, a SOC two, if that's what their industry is demanding. And then once they get, and, then, and once they get that document, they just kind of really quickly go back to status quo. And then, like, so it's kind of like becomes security theater. And and so engagement in those younger companies, and not all, like, so there are some young companies that totally see it, and you know, they they realize they're signing security addendums, they realize the threat to the business. But I think most most of those really small companies are thinking of it like transactional, and so like engagement becomes staggered. And you know, for us, we've moved up markets slightly in terms of our targeting, where we find like there's actually a dedicated person or more, like they have more experience. There's more demand for security, so it isn't you know, a seasonal sort of perspective. It's very much ongoing, which is what it needs to be. Love that. That makes sense. To more of a practice instead of an event, right? Like a process. Like yeah, it's, process. It's, it's like getting in shape, right? You don't just like, you know, you don't just like, you know, hustle hard, get a trainer, you know, bust your ass for, for like eight weeks and like, you know, drinking all these kale smoothies and protein shakes, get super lean and then go back to drinking beer and eating pizza and sitting on your ass and expect to like, you know, you're, that's not healthy. You don't end up being healthy in any way long term. It's just like, you know, you tried to do something, you got to a certain goal and you're like, okay, autopilot this. So true. I love that analogy too. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think, you know, it's funny in, in the business world, in terms of like revenue growth, one of the areas I see people doing the same way where they think of it as a, an event instead of a process is, is systemizing customer to prospect referrals. Like, yeah, we literally just did a post on that's a great point. People think they're like, oh, I asked and they didn't give a referral, right? Where versus like stacking it on top of a sales process of like what you're already doing and just integrating it in there, and then it becomes like repeatable and scalable pipeline growth. It's not attached to people, right? Uh, so I see the same kind of thing that you mentioned right there on on that side. So it totally relates with me. Awesome. All right. Well, unfortunately, Darren, we're up on time. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Carbide? And then we'll wrap things up. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn if you're looking for me personally or or on my podcast, Why I'm Still Awake. Um, And then, you know, if if you're looking for more about data security or if you're, you know, you have a company and you're trying to think about how you navigate security and data privacy, you can go to carbidesecure.com. And uh, we've got tons of uh, data on there that will help you sort of wrap your head around uh, what that world looks like. Love it. Well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed your journey. It was fascinating and um, a lot of uh, cool twists and turns that you took. And 
it's it's funny how we end up doing what we're doing sometimes. So uh, thanks for being on, Darren. Thanks for having me. All right. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 